Hey y'all, this is Jay, and holy fucking shit, I got to talk to Ale from Spore. And, uh, amazing experience for me. I fucking love this band. I was a little too young to see, ever see them live. I think they were just about over as soon as I was of age. Um, and just, just great to talk to him. I, I, I love his insight. He was, uh, funny, sarcastic. We had an instant rapport, uh, and I think he had a great time. We did uh, experience some of the lovely musicians of Studio um, 52, and uh, some really sweet emo in the background that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Uh, there is a lot of interference, so uh, just bear with me. It is a good interview. Uh, just take your time and listen to it. Maybe listen to it in a couple sections. It is a long one. Uh, rest your ears. But... Uh, I really appreciate him coming by. Uh, this is all your things done. Boozy. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for coming. Sure, my pleasure. I, I, you know, I'm not good at talking about stuff, so. Yeah, yeah people say that. Who and, me or in general? Uh, yeah, people, people have been talking so much shit about you on these interviews. I don't put it on just because, you know. Uh, no, Shana. I think. Yeah, it was a Sha- yeah, Shauna. She's a big shit talker. <laughs> um, now, a lot of people say they're like, oh, I don't, I don't think I. I don't think I have anything to say, which is always bullshit, I, in my opinion. People always have something to say, and especially, I mean, I'm kind of the same way. I don't really want to talk about myself either, or, but once people get into it, usually, now I'm totally going to fucking jinx it, though. But. Well, you know, um, I guess it's always just awkward, like, you know, I, you know, I don't, so were you around in the 90s? Do we know each other? I mean, have we met? Uh, we never met. I mean, I obviously was into Spore. Oh, and so did you ever see us? Were you around? No, I was too young. Um, I think I'm just a little bit younger than you. Probably just more than a little bit. How old are you? 50. Oh, yeah, I am. I'm 41. Oh, you don't look 50, oh. honestly. Clean <laughs> uh, living. Not really. But. I was going to say, beer at 12 o'clock. Yeah, exactly. I'll drink to that. Cheers. Cheers again. Um, yeah, I didn't, re- uh, yeah, I guess I didn't realize you were that old, but you look great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How was your morning? Uh, you know, had breakfast. That's about it. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of a late riser. I'm a night guy, so, you know, I usually get up at 9.30, 10, so it's about perfect. Have breakfast, lounge a bit, and come over here. That's about when I got up. Um, stayed up too late. Always. So, um, where do you want to start? Do you, uh, where, where'd you grow up? Did you grow up around here? Uh, are you taping? Taping since we we sat down. All right. Oh, that's yeah, I, I tur- just, usually what I do is I walk out. I tur- turn it on and walk out to go get whoever it is. Oh right, right. So it's that's that's good. No, it's very smooth. I like that. That's a, that's a good tactic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we could start with that V four back there. This is mine. Is that? Oh, mm-hmm. all right, man. Then in that case, we are exactly on the same wavelength because that is the best amp of all time, and that particular one is an early seventies. Yeah, it's a seventies. So you know about the piping and all that stuff. No, you mean the piping around the ends yeah, here? No, the black, tri- the, the, you've got the square black piping right here. So mm-hmm. this, this stuff. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, I think, I'm, I used to know, I used to really be into this stuff. Um, I 
think that's like 71 to 74. And that's the best year. That's actually the best one. The ones in the year era before that, 68 to 71s, had like blue piping with rounded corners. Mm -hmm. Also very good amps. And I think there's one iteration after that where they changed the knobs or there's some other variation you can tell the difference. The only thing I don't like about this amp is that I wish it had master volume. I have one that was modded out and added the master volume. Yeah. And yeah. I, I asked Kevin Mike, I don't know if you know Kevin Mike. Oh, yeah, I know Kevin. And to see if he, because I've, I've seen things, there's that, uh, this is that website, V4 something, it's like the, all they sell is just Ampeg parts. Nice. Um, and I got a whole new tube set for this, replaced the tubes twice on it. When I got it, like the transformer was burnt out, it was like putting out half oh, wow. power. Yeah. Um, and for it cost me $400, probably another $100 to get it, get it here. And then I probably put another four hundred dollars in to get it working properly. Worth every penny. Oh, it is. And yeah. I wish I had this when I was in my quote-unquote loud band. What was your band? I was in a band called Identified, like in the early or late two thousands, and I had a crappy Sun reissue, the Fender Model T reissue. It just like wasn't a great amp. Um, but I wish I had this thing. Yeah. Oh, um, the 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 the. That particular era of Ampeg, I think, is the best sounding amps of all time. And you know that Keith Richards was the one who kind of made him famous or whatever. I mean, um, that's why I got it, because I wanted to have a, a kind of stone sound. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you that, so, like, maybe five years ago, I just, I've had that V4 for, like, maybe 10 or 15 years, but that maybe more like 10 years ago, I just went on this bender where I was buying, like, every... So that's the V4, obviously. The only one that's bigger is the SVT, but there's a whole range of smaller amps going all the way down to a 4-inch uh, the cube. Have you seen the cube? I've never seen that one. I've seen the one just bigger than that. The cube is sick. Is it? It's just a four-inch box it. with a four-inch speaker. Sorry, six or eight-inch box with a like four-inch speaker volume knob, and it sounds almost as good. Really? As I mean, it's it's obviously tiny and quiet, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you can also crank it up and just saturate it. And every amp in that range, I have like the eight-inch. I think there's a ten-inch. There's a twelve-inch, and then. Then you go up to the 412 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think there's even a 212 combo, which I don't have. Um, there is a 212 combo, which I don't have, which is sick. It's basically that in the yeah. 212 box. Yeah. But, uh... um, and they all are just the best amps ever. In fact, I had my 12-inch one repaired like six months ago or a year ago, and Adam, 27, was using it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my God, this amp sounds so good. Just, they're all great. Uh, sorry about this. I told us some bad emo. Um... Just want to get as much as you as possible. So maybe lay a little closer. I was I was interviewing Drew Doherty uh, like two weeks ago. Then this guy next door just started playing drums out of nowhere. Sorry. Um, do I, how, how do I know Drew? I know him. Drew came came from the Cape. Uh, he was in the Ivory Coast. Oh, okay. Uh, he played guitar. Uh, he hung out with like all those Cape kids from like Links and Pizza and shit. Um, uh, Helms. Yes, Helms. Yep. That's all. That's all Cape Kids. Amazing band. Dan McCarthy's. Amazing drummer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, amazing artist, too. Yeah. He's going to... Uh, I'm going to have him in next week. Oh, nice. Tell yeah. him I said hi. Yeah, I will. I will. Very, very I, uh, lovely person. Oddly enough, this is the first conversation I've had about amps on the show. Oh, so really? I'm interested to go down this... this uh, Road a little bit. You want to talk more about amps? Let's talk about amps because yeah, I want I wanted to get the I, I found a way uh, on one of those forums to to put a master volume in through the like 
through the back, but you through the reverb circuit. So you basically get rid of the reverb, which I didn't want to do. Um, and Kevin also was like, I don't really want to drill into that chassis and shit like it's that. It's tough tweaking an old, because that, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you, you can't, I mean, you can buy used, but, you know, yeah. it, once you change that, once, you know, it's it, it's so perfect as it is. I got mine, did I mod it? I didn't mod it. No, I got, I misspoke. The one that I have is basically the same as yours. Mm -hmm. I got one from Maria that was modded with that volume. Or maybe I gave her the first one I had and kept the second one. That, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But I got it, it was pre-modded. Because I, I agree with Kevin. I, I Just changing something like that, you know, it's just... Yeah, I, I thought about it again and said, yeah, you're right. Uh, I did get the, like, the, the switch. The, the, uh, that same website sells like a... It's not an overdrive switch, it's, but it takes like the the volume coming through the preamp circuit and like supposedly boosts it. It doesn't work very well. <laughs> a lot of times those mods, people will tell you like some tech geek will be like, oh, I can do this and that and the other thing. And then you're like, cool. And you do it and you're like, yeah. That different? yeah. I've talked to so many guitar techs who are like, don't do that. You're going to be, you're going to regret it immediately. It's like a doctor, you know, you, I, I'm, I'm not generally a conservative guy, but there are certain aspects of life where I think it's good to not be like, let's cut you open and see how, <laughs> see what happens, you know, let's take out all those teeth and we can yeah. new perfect ones. It'll in, be better. Know? You'll be better off. Right. Uh, that's a good point. It's a good analogy, I guess. Um, what do you play now? Uh, well, I play bass mostly now. Yeah. So I have like, just like a, like a, I also, I do the bass and the samples, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have this Behringer, it's like, it's like a mini PA. It's like a one... Interesting. Um, it, so it's got like a, you know, it's, it's it's got like four inputs and it's got an EQ on it and all mm -hmm. types of stuff. So it's basically kind of like an all-purpose. So if I'm kicking samples, I can use that if I'm yeah. playing my bass. If I'm playing both, still only one amp. Because for years I just got really ambitious with gear and like, oh, I need to have all these things. And it just is so a lot much of shit to lug around and like, setting up and breaking down. Lugging this thing around everywhere. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Is that a new world? It's a new world, yeah. But it sounds great. Yeah. It sounds really nice. It's like a reissue, huh? Yeah. This goes, I was talking about the piping, that's why I was looking at the piping. See, this has a black, and I think... It was a rounding curve. Yeah, and also it's split in half here. Remember how I was saying I thought that the late 70s had a variation I couldn't remember? I think it's that they split it in half. So I think that the 68 to 71 is blue with rounded corners. Mm -hmm. 72 to 75, is that one there. And then in 75 to like 77, which is when they got bought out by Pete or someone, and it all changed. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, they had a design that looked like this. And I'll tell you something else. Their solid state amps from that era are also basically about as good sounding as the tube amps. And I know all the tube amp snobs will be like, no, it's solid state, but I'll tell you, they fucking sound awesome. There's some good solid state amps out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially for bass. This fucking PV Mark series that came out in the, like, 80s? in the 80s. Yeah, yep, yep. It's a damn good fucking bass These amp. Great bass amps. They were so underrated. And I, I remember playing those like when I was in high school. Feeling like it was such a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and now all those amps are just like collectible, you know? It's, it's weird. Awesome. I mean, that thing, when I, I mean, I used to see those for like a hundred bucks. Yeah. And they were just, take it. I don't want it. Just, yeah. Whatever you want to give me for it. Now, I have seen them like on the like guitar, uh, the greater Boston guitar swap or whatever the fuck that thing is for like two or three hundred dollars. Yeah. No, other people appreciate them now very much and they're great. I mean, 
Oh, I, I will admit I haven't played one in a long time, but I think it still sounds good. The bass player in the band that I'm in has that little Ampeg thing on top, which you know, I mean, it's fine. It's easy to carry around. Oh, these. Yeah. I kind of love the little mini amp. If yeah. I, if I was in a touring band, or if I you know toured a lot right now, that's totally the way I would do it. He puts it in a suitcase. Yeah. He likes it. Um, I just love that PV sound from that thing. It's good. It has like a little chunk to it. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of like you know. I don't see any uh, GKs around here. You ever tried the GK? No. No. Uh, yeah, he has the GK cab here, which sounds a little tinny to me. I wish it was a little more round, but I don't know what you can, you can't expect much from like one speaker, I guess. It's the right speaker. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd like to replace both the speakers in the, this Fender cabinet here. 215? Yeah. Cause that sounds really nice. Problem is that those aren't original speakers and you know, they're mismatched and weird and it might have just sounded good because it was mismatched and weird. So if you replace it, you're like, what is it going to sound like? Right, I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, the speakers are the cab, you know, really, I mean, not entirely, but for to a large extent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, where did you grow up? Did you grow up around here? Uh, I grew up in Maine. Water yeah, we, we're talking about spores. Is that the general We're talking concept? about everything. Anything you want to talk about. I mean, uh, we talked about amps. We can talk about... What you do for a living, uh, we can do. We can we can go over everything if you have the time. I'd be more interested in talking about what you do for a living. Really? I saw you do like a reclaimed reclaimed wood. I do. Yep. That's really cool. Uh, it's it's better than have. I mean, yeah. I, I love I love my job. It it can be frustrating, and uh, my boss is kind of a douche. Um, but weighing all all of everything else, what I could, else I could be doing for a living, it's great. I mean, people are, you know, you can have the, the dream job with the shittiest people and it's not a fun thing, or you can have a crappy job with great people and that can make, you know, make it fun, you know. Um, so that that's important, but, you know, if you get to do something that, you know, like reclaim, I assume, recycling aspect, the whole green aspect is a big... That was the major... Thing, which I, is awesome. When I, when I was, my previous job, I was like, what can I do in that sort of field that's not like sorting cans or whatever? What was your previous job? Worked at a, I worked at Newberry for oh, that's too right. long. New Terry, right? Yeah, yeah New Terry. Um, and then I, uh, but I was in the stores. Um, then I worked at a hospital for a year because I was like, I gotta get out. Of, I gotta get out of Newberry because there's nowhere to go. Um, and uh, I was like, maybe I can do a job where I don't care about what I do. I just punch in and leave, you know, punch out and go home. And it's, and I quickly found out that that wasn't the case. I needed to care a little bit about whatever it was I was doing. And, uh, yeah, I just started applying for these places. These places, I sent out five resumes in one day, and I got one response. And I was working there a month later. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. It was. Yeah, I mean. So was it mostly like for floors and stuff, or like, or is it like art pieces, or like what? What's? Uh, we we have we have floors. We do a lot of cladding. People, you know, oh. every, every, a lot of a lot of people watch DIY Network with those people and they they see all this reclaimed stuff um you mean like outdoor cladding or no like indoors like everyone calls it shiplap which is just cladding and shiplap is a, like the process of the joint but this one woman called it shiplap called it shiplap so everyone calls it shiplap which is 
so pet, is it like a pet peeve of mine? No, <laughs> because it's because it's not shiplap. It's cladding, but the process, the joint is called a shiplap. Right. Okay, I got it. So, but it's basically like, like, uh, like clabber. Yeah. For yeah. In, inside. Exactly. Inside, outside. We've done like stuff for like outside, you know, um, patios and stuff like that. So we, if I was to do a wall, mm -hmm. it's like this big, but you know, twice this outside. Yep. How much would that cost? I mean, it depends on the material and depends on what you want, want to do. If it's a, if it's just like a straight rip stuff and you just want to put up whatever, and is it would it be exposed to the? These are questions. That yes, are, outdoors. You know, like a lot. Of, like we did a job for this dude in Hopkinton who who was like uh, owns a shoe company, so he's got a lot of money and. His whole outdoor situation, they built this huge pergola over the thing, like giant, like another room or two outside. So the, the cladding was going to actually be really uh, uh, subjected to real elements. It wasn't going to get rained on. So I was like, oh, this, this should be fine. You know, as long as you seal it, you'll be good. And he paid a lot of money for that because he wanted everything shiplapped. And, but if you just want like regular flooring or like uh, stuff that's just like, you know, that we have milled. It's usually like eight dollars a square foot. Eight dollars. It's not cheap, you know. But when you but think if it's of, a small space, if it's a small area, you know. I, I bought a house. Oh yeah. And, uh, where'd, you, where'd you buy a house? Cambridge. Really? Yeah. Damn. Uh, <laughs> how'd you how'd you make that happen? Uh, you know, I'm 50 years old. I've been working my whole life. I that's pretty impressive. Don't spend a lot of money, and I had some help from my family, so I'm not. Yeah. Gonna, you know. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, you know. Um, Listen, I had help from my family to buy my house too in the long run. Think if I think about it, and I got a hefty mortgage. Also, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, but, do you, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, no. I, I now I have a house, and uh, I want. I'm doing some renovations. I actually just got my permit last week, and I met with my contractor. So now I'm all like, oh, you know, I gotta make some decisions stuff. Uh -huh. And uh, the entranceway, um, which I probably won't be using much, but it's what faces the street. And I'm kind of just thinking of putting like an aesthetic. You know how people always put like some like in the entranceway ceiling. They'll put like a nice wood finish and mm -hmm. sometimes there'll be like a little wood on the wall so uh, you know it's probably like four foot by eight foot times yeah. two you know so, so what is that square footage is tiny 50 square feet yeah like so, so then you multiply that by the cost so 50 times eight yeah it's 400 bucks so, yeah so, so it's not too bad right yeah that's not not much at all i mean some people you know when i say like thousand dollars are surprised uh the problem is people don't think about with um i'm gonna move this a little bit so it's more like this. Um, there's like a lot of labor and reclaimed, you yep. know, because you you have to send dude, people to the site, take everything out. There's insurance involved with that, obviously. And Permitting, I'm sure, all types of yeah. safety issues. Right. Um, fuel, all that kind of crap. Take it out, put it on a truck, take it back to wherever it's going, clean it up, denail it, or whatever it is. Yep. I mean, it's just a lot of labor involved. And then you got to package it up. So when you say eight dollars a square foot, people are like, "Really? It's used wood." I'm like, I can go buy this at Home Depot for a dollar fifty a square foot. I'm like, then go there. Yeah. You know, it's not the same stuff. It's not. Just, yeah. Um, so uh, maybe to. Complete the thought or whatever. My day job is kind of similar way. So I work at the garment district. You know the garment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, uh, so we buy used clothes and we mm -hmm. sell used clothes. And then you know, I'll say. So one of my 
roles at the Garden District is to like oversee the social media and stuff like that. And you know, there's always fucking haters. And I mean, you know, I've been working at the Garment District since I was in Spore. You know, there's nine. haters on the Garment District. I find it very surprising. Dude, it's crazy. Really? I do. Um, we get. I mean, it's just funny because what I see is the haters. You know, and, and I will say definitely people are nice too. There's a lot of you know shoppers or fans or whatever who who goes shouts and like you know and. and but I'll tell you, and I've said this in dollar, you know what dollar pound is, where we, mm-hmm. you know, the cheap clothes. Yep. And I was like, man, we used to have dollar pound half off on Fridays, 50 cents a pound, you know, a t-shirt costs like 10 cents. Awesome. And people would fucking argue with you. You'd be like, 10 cents, they'd be like, 10 cents! And I'm like, <laughs> fucking seriously? Like, I could pay you and you'd still argue, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, hey, yeah. here's a quarter, take it away. And they'd be like, you're really gonna give me a quarter to take this? You know, like. Do you so. think that's purely a Boston thing? I think it's purely a human thing. Okay. Right. I think the world has a lot of assholes. And, I, you know, we don't need to talk about politics or whatever. Cause we can. <laughs> I assume really we agree. <laughs> I, I think it's a safe bet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do. I talked to someone recently who, who was more of like a libertarian. So not completely on that side. but And we agreed on like a lot of social issues. But then there was like other crap that we don't. Which is fine. You know. But that person fully missed that the current situation is... <laughs> yeah, a dead end. Let's if... let's talk about more fun stuff. All right. Yeah, um, I, I so how long have you been working there? Uh, since well, yeah, since sports, since sports, since uh, I think I was trying to remember this the other day. My mom actually told me because I went on a trip with them. Uh, I was born in Israel. I go to Israel periodically with my parents. And oh yeah. And I, I think we went on a trip. I can't remember exactly, but my mom like kind of remembered when I started, and I couldn't remember because it's been so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was '93. Um, yeah. And did you, when did you move to, from Maine? So yeah, I, I grew up in Maine and just to, since we're talking about sport a little and I was, it's funny cause I, I don't really think about the past much. I, you know, I, I don't dwell on it much, but I know, think I think about it too much. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's partially, I mean, that's why I do this thing. Oh, funny. To revisit a lot of that stuff. Cause oh. I, cause I miss some of it, you know? You know, I look back on it very fondly. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and I, I certainly had tons of great times in that era and I, I, you know, I'm not a person have lots of regrets or whatever, and I, I'm pretty happy about all, you know, being part of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just never find myself thinking about it much. But then, you know, knowing that I was coming here today, I was like, you know, kind of what you said earlier. I was like, what, what would anybody be interested in hearing? And I, you know, I know that my friends and the people that I lived with through it or whatever. I mean, there's lots of we did some crazy shit. I mean, like when I look back, I'm like, wow, that probably wasn't the wisest decision. Um, but you know, it was fun, and we we definitely you know enjoyed it to its fullest. Um, and uh, but yeah, so I never really think about it. But then when I was coming here today, like last night, I was like, oh yeah, I go to that interview, and I just was like starting to think about that time. I actually meant to listen to the to Spore on the way over here, and then I. I When's the last time you listened to the, like, the record? The score record? Like, yeah. The whole, oh, like, the, yeah, the full record. I don't even remember. Yes. Yeah. It has to have been at least 20 years. I mean, you know, I... I, I listened to it a couple weeks ago. Oh, did you? Yeah. Because uh, I, ta- I, I had been ta- talking to Mona periodically about this thing. Is she going to come down and do an interview? Yeah, no. She did yeah. She doesn't want to do an interview? Doesn't want to do it, which I totally respect. She was... She was gracious enough to let me use the name, and I find that it was really sweet of her to let me do that, so taking its face value, you know? Yeah, you know, she's, uh, you know, I don't blame her. I gotta say that 
I almost, I was like, do I really want to do this? And I was like, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, but on the other hand, I think it's nice that you are interested and I, you know, I don't know. I, I can understand where she's coming from, but oh, somehow yeah. I made it over here. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so good. No, I mean, people are interested, so it's good. Uh, what I was going to mention was uh, the last time I actually heard Spore, not the rec not the first record anyway, but um, I did a, do you remember that band Bull Roar? What was it? Bull Roar? No. So, after Spore, I, uh, did, do you know about Pinto? Remember yep, I know about Pinto. Yep. So, yeah, so I, have, I think I have the 10 inch. 10 inch? Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a nice piece of wax. Um, when I did the little etching on the back. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I should listen to that shit. Thinking about it, I haven't listened in probably like 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I don't think I've listened to any of that stuff in 20 plus years. Honestly, I never even really listened to anything, any of my old records, you know? I mean, Why do you think that is? I mean, basically what you're saying, you don't think about the past or you move on to this next thing or whatever. Yeah, I'm not against, like I said, I actually kind of intended to listen to the record yeah. uh, when I was coming over here, but then I was running a little bit late. And I was just kind of in a rush, and with my car, I gotta like sync my phone to the Bluetooth, and it's a pain in the ass, or whatever. So I was just like, whatever. Um, so it's not like I'm like, I don't want to listen to it. I'm actually kind of curious to hear how it sounds. Um, I did listen. So uh, uh, this Bull Roar was this band that was like post sports, maybe like late '90s. They were a noise band, and I recorded them a bunch. And they were one of my favorite bands from the sort of sport was like early to mid '90s, I guess. And then Bull Roar is probably like mid to late '90s. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the guy Colin was sort of like the you know he was the guitarist, vocalist guy. So one of the you know was, they all three participated a lot in the band. But anyway, he uh, he contacted me like maybe a year ago, six months ago, and he did a podcast on that scene that we were part of, you know, like Cudgel, Slug Hog, like, <laughs> so the early 90s scene, all the bands we played with and all the people we hung out with. Um, and he came a couple years later. He moved to town to go to Mass Art, I guess. But when he came to town, he'd heard of all our bands. He'd never seen any of us, but mm -hmm. he'd heard about Spore and Slug Hog and, and, okay. and we all, you know, his tastes and interests were very similar to ours and mm -hmm. he and I bonded right away. And like I said, I recorded Bull Roar a bunch and tried to, I put them out on my little label and stuff. Um, and uh, and then like a six months or a year ago, he did a podcast on his perspective of the scene, which was he came to Boston, and there were all these bands in the scene existing that he just kind of came upon, and he never saw Spore, and I think he saw Slug Hog, and he's you know, but he had this sort of like mythology in his head that he built up about what these bands were and how they what how, you know what they represented or whatever, just in his brain what it was. So his idea for the podcast was to like explore the. the ideas that he had in his head about what that scene was and then talk to the people who were there and, and I think Shauna was on it too actually mm -hmm. um, so it was you know it's like all the same uh, uh, Cora from uh, Sugar Bitch was on it I'm trying to remember it's a really good podcast if, if you what's like the name this, do you remember the name I can email you the link later on yeah it's, email me yeah, I'll it's something include you would it. think it's like dub something dub and he's really into dub I'm into dub and he, I think his podcast was originally about dub music mm -hmm. or maybe his, his own dub I don't know exactly Yeah. but then he just kind of does random other things that he has interested that's cool in. and it's really good uh, it's actually part of the reason that I agreed to do this because he's an old friend of mine and I yeah. couldn't say no to him and he was just like you know he's like come on dude and I'm like alright <laughs> and I you know I talked to him over we did it over the phone and it was like kind of late and I probably had like one beer too many because I was nervous I don't really like you know I don't know, I, you know, it's just weird talking about, you know, your life or whatever. And, uh, but then I talked to him, and after I talked to him, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be awful. You know? 
and then you know three four months later whatever he put out the podcast and I, I was not horrified at my own personal commentary which yeah. was which was good I actually was like wow I didn't you know I didn't say anything like really offensive or you know mean to anybody or whatever <laughs> um, and you know whatever. I, I wouldn't imagine you would yeah you know <laughs> um, I mean some people like are like uh, yeah some people are after after we're done they say oh, did I say anything stupid I don't remember what I said like completely like a white light they like, block out like an hour of their life and somehow forget everything I'm like no no you're fine well it's like you said it's like a weird zone you go into like mm-hmm. people don't really like to talk about it but then once you get over the hurdle or whatever then it starts to just come out and then you're like whoa wait a second I did, did I put the filter on enough you know and I mean I will say like back in the day you know in the, in the 90s when mm-hmm. you know we were living life pretty wild back then and you know we'd get pretty you know pretty buzzed and go on MBR or whatever and talk shit about people and I, <laughs> I definitely said stuff I regretted uh, um, but I'm gonna try not to do that's that that's okay uh, I mean I think I probably I don't know why I mean I never saw you guys I, but I remember listening. I remember getting those records, um, and I think I imagined in my head that you guys were like this wild, crazy like band. And it turns out you are. You were. <laughs> we were. Yeah, def- definitely were. Um, sorry. The reason I mentioned that was just to complete the thought. Was the last time I heard Spore was on Collins podcast when I was listening to it, mm-hmm. and then he had my bit or whatever, and then he played a song, which was might have been on our second record, but. It was a seven-inch version, which I totally forgot about. And he started playing. I'm like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, this sounds so familiar. And then it was Spore. Mm-hmm. And I just literally had totally forgotten that that song existed. And it took me, like, probably two minutes into the song. And I kind of knew it was us. And then, you know, I think Mark sings the first part or whatever. I can't remember exactly. But I was like, it's just so weird to hear it. It had been 25 years or something. You know, yeah. I kind of just forgot it existed. And that's the last time I heard Spore. So... So, so yeah. how did it come about? I mean, were you did you write a bulk of the songs? Were you writing the songs, or oh, was, no, it, no. was it Mona? Was it no? It was it was very collaborative. Yeah, that, that whole band. I mean, somebody would sometimes bring in an idea. I mean, typically, you know, it would be one of the three of us because we played like melodic mm-hmm. instruments. You know, yeah. Uh, Chris was a great drummer, but you know, most of the starting ideas for songs came from one of the three of us bringing in a riff or just jams. We like to yeah. jam a lot, and uh, and. Uh, you know, then uh, we would just, Mona would start playing something, or Mark would, or I would, and then we'd all just join in and just jam and see how it went and try to record mm-hmm. stuff back then. It was boom boxes, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was still in the age of boom boxes. Yeah. We did have a four track. Um, we did a bunch of four track demos. I, I had a four track since like way before Spore. And uh, I think I've always been like the techie guy in the band, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, if I had to like break it down. You know, sort of. I was like the techie nerd, and I, I did like this mostly the samples and stuff. And uh, seems like you're the techie nerd in 27. Still, well. techie, <laughs> nothing, nothing changes, man. Yeah. Still, still the techie nerd. Not quite as techie as like Kevin. You know, I can't do like wiring and stuff. That's not really, you know. Well, it's like he's like a pro. You know, I'm like a hack, amateur hack. You know, Kevin, that's all he does. Yeah, he's just think about how he's gonna make that shit happen by himself, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, and I, you know, and, and you know, so you must know Greg then, too. Yep. Yeah, Greg yeah, so, you know, and Greg was on and off in 27, and so yeah. in our, like, kind of go-to stones. Mm-hmm. No, no, this is, this is, uh... Oh, Skinner. 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 Oh, sick. They were, they did go into uh, Immigrant Song, and nice. they're playing it, and I'm like, oh, that's, because I never hear good versions of it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's and then as soon as you know he comes in with that first note, and I'm like, oh, you, no one can hit that fucking note. <laughs> the 
even he can't hit that note now. That, that is a weird, tough song. Yeah. You know, there's a, that and Black Dog are like songs that I've always had the hardest time just. Like, how can people write music like that? Like, it's, it's crazy. It's so weird to me. You know, Such like, a weird riff. Yeah. It's so simple, but very difficult to pull off properly. Yeah. It's And it's it's just amazing that, you know, they're just such weird ideas, and yet they were so important and so influential, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really get pissed off when people call them hacks. Is that? Yeah, I mean, people have pulled, you know, like, you know... Because of all the song stealing? Yeah, but I, I really think that a lot of those bands stealing riffs from each other and and stones will come out and say it they're like we absolutely ripped this rip off from like you know muddy waters oh of course and everybody did it i yeah. agreed and, and whether they do it more in the front of their brain and consciously or whether they do it in the back of their brain you know george harrison perfect example with mm-hmm. what is life or whatever right yeah and he settled and said yeah I, I probably did steal that song and i didn't even realize it right um i read an interview with Sting a long time ago and he was just like listing police songs that were like he was like oh you know whatever Roxanne is no woman no cry and he was just like going through like the police songs and listing the Bob Marley songs that they were just like <laughs> I mean that's obvious yeah, like so much reggae influence in that band yeah but I mean he was just like literally saying like yeah this song was taken from this song and this song was you know yeah. so you know and then I don't fall you know Zeppelin at all for that I mean do I, know, I. I, I, well, I will say this he could have been a little more generous to like some of the people that he ripped off by like paying them or settling with them or whatever and I think they were kind of real hard ass in their legal dealings with the people who had these claims which are totally obvious and legitimate in many cases I mean, yeah I mean that that spirit thing is still yeah yeah I mean I also think on the other hand where yeah maybe they, they it definitely is similar it definitely sounds like it more than likely they ripped it off but these those four people there's no other people that could have made those that those songs at that period of time oh absolutely and, and, and that's the thing is you know if, even if it was heavily inspired by even if you were playing that riff in your jam space then it turned into another riff you know fair enough because um, when you think about stairway to heaven there's like this two or three songs like the, the way they get through each you know uh movement of that song yeah they're very different parts. Absolutely, well, the whole end, the, the yeah. loud end, is not was not written by Randy California, mm-hmm. and you know, and clearly the intro riff or whatever is, but but it, you know, the riff is just one component of the song. There's the lyrics, there's the vocals, there's the drums. I mean, yeah. the whole thing that makes it the package of what it is. That only those four dudes could have ever done that, and and so it is a magical piece of music, obviously, that's touched so many people. Um, but again, they could have just settled out a lot, you know. <laughs> They have the money. money coming out his ears. Like, he couldn't spare Randy California, like, a couple hundred thousand or something. I think it was at that point, it was just like, I have to... Which is dumb. Because you're... How old, how old is he? He's 75, 76 now? He's maybe. Maybe almost 80 now. And he's not weathered very well last few times I've seen him on. Yeah, he's got, got some serious jowls going on. <laughs> um, yeah, is it just a point of pride that you don't want to admit it now? I think it's that he set up a policy early in his life where he just wasn't going to give an inch on that you know just um but you know the most egregious one i don't know if you ever is dazed and confused mm-hmm. and, and that is actually like the entire song is like straight uplifted from a band that they toured with and i can't remember what band it is off the top of my head but if you hear you can obviously google it mm-hmm. it's literally the exact song that they just played. i have not i like maybe six or seven years ago there was a youtube video about like and they laid everything out. Like, here is everything, the songs, you know, this is what they ripped off. That, that video also said, 
kind of what you were saying or what we were saying that that being said this no one could have been Led Zeppelin it doesn't detract I mean it, I don't know it, it doesn't ruin the music for me you mm-hmm. know it's still me obviously neither. super important in the pantheon of rock and roll you know what I mean and and you know super heavy influence on me personally obviously and I mean pretty much everybody we know I think and all of these scenes that were involved in I mean you know them and Sabbath and Deep Purple another band that ripped off quite heavily ripped people mm-hmm. off quite heavily Smoke on the Water you know yeah. I was listening to a Deep Purple song and I obviously don't remember it now but like I was like I know this fucking song from somewhere else and it's so weird yeah uh, I mean so what were your influence when you were do- when you were doing Spore like where, where did it come from what were you guys uh, listening to so Spore yeah uh, for me and Mark I think and I mean, maybe I should just speak for myself, but I mean, I know, you know, Mark and I, so I, I guess I'll just talk, you know, the brief yeah, history of the band is, for sure. I, I grew up in Waterville, Maine, mm-hmm. um, Mark and I were friends since I think junior high, maybe, um, I don't think I knew him in grade school, I think he moved to Waterville, like maybe around junior high, and probably like eighth grade or ninth grade, I can't remember exactly, um, he and I started playing a band together, um, and I'd been in a couple of bands before that, um, and we had this drummer, Dave, Dave Panarelli, um, who was kind of like Alex Van Halen or whatever, you know, like, and, and so, <laughs> so me and Mark started playing, we did covers with Dave, we did like Van Halen covers, we did like, um, Ozzy, Sabbath, you know, like sort of metal-y, yep. you know, I think, some just, hair metal? Not, not, not hair metal, I mean, right. unless you count Van Halen as hair metal, which is, you it's know, on the, it's on the borderline maybe yeah. not like winger or any of that right. shit I don't like any of that stuff I mean you know no I, poison I, no fucking no I mean in hindsight like you know now like in the last five or ten years and it's in we have a new like music service at the Garment District so now I hear like different types of music before mm-hmm. it used to just be us playing Black Sabbath or whatever and now <laughs> it's kind of like this piped in music service where you can pick genres and stuff and sometimes it's awful and sometimes it's surprisingly good and you know sometimes winger and shit like that gets played and, it's, and I kind of like I'm like you know I don't know maybe it's just nostalgia or whatever mm-hmm. but I don't hate it as much as I used to when it was current um, and certainly stuff I mean I, I like Van Halen back in the day and, and I 1984 is an amazing record just amazing the entire David Lee Roth era yeah I mean and actually Sammy Hagar you know that was all just crap I mean that was it <laughs> they were like Sabbath you know they basically although Sabbath at least had mob rules and some other posts. I definitely don't like the Dio era I gotta say that for sure and even the two records with Ozzy the, 70, the 77, 78 I think uh, Never Say Die and shit. Yeah. I still love those records and I don't know what it is it took me a while to get over Ozzy's voice to begin with when I was a kid really? yeah I couldn't get into it huh. I also had this fucking stupid weird thing about singers Like I was like just pick up a guitar <laughs> oh you didn't like the front guy thing yeah the whole front guy I don't know if it was like attitude or but Mick we've talked about the I know I know it. see that I obviously got over it <laughs> Um, yeah, so so high school, me and Mark played a covers band, and it was all those kinds of things. We started, we did a little bit of punk. I think I think around that time, you know, it was like Discovery, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, and like, what was the scene like up in in Maine where you were? There wasn't nothing. It was me and Mark and this other kid, Chris, uh, Crispy, who we just used to, you know. Smoke weed and drink and party and <laughs> some other friends. We had we had a circle of friends. Yeah, this guy Dan actually lives near me in Cambridge now, bizarrely. Hmm. Um, we had like you know there was sort of like we were like the outcasts or whatever. I think the actual 
so you know this was like the 80s in Waterville, Maine, you know, like a paper town. And so I was like this, you know, my name is Ayal, right? And yeah. Like, that's a weird fucking name in Waterville, Maine in mm-hmm. 1980. I remember one time I had like a mohawk, and it was probably like, probably like 88 or something, and I was in Waterville, and a dude was driving the wrong way down a one-way street. And I was like, hey, hey, you're going the wrong way. And he's like, fuck you! You know, that was like our total interaction. I'm like, Pretty much the response. You really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so that was what it was like, you know, it was like, and so we had like, you know, we had like a crew of, I don't know, 10 kids or whatever that were sort of the, the alternative kids. And, mm-hmm. and then there were like the poor kids who were the scums. And then there was the jocks. So there was jocks and scums. <laughs> scums. Yeah, scums. Isn't that nice? Yeah. We scums. Skids. Skids. And then, yeah, that was like the yeah, the like the poor metalhead yeah. kids in our... Yeah. The Heshers, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Basically. The, the, and, and I used to hang out with those dudes because mm-hmm. the jocks beat me up. So, like, you know, I wasn't good at sports. So, <laughs> yep. so whatever. I hung out with the Heshers and, uh, and you know, and so Mark and a bunch of us were kind of, you know, we were like more like, you know, the Heshers were more like townies and we were more like people who moved into town. Like, our mm-hmm. parents got jobs there, so we were like more... We weren't like built in like they were. We were a little like weirder or whatever, maybe a little more arty or whatever. But those are the kids that I identified with and hung out with, and those are the kids I smoked pot with too. So, um, that's yeah. who I smoked pot with too. But they were skaters, I guess. Skater, yeah, yeah. This was actually like before skating became a thing. So I'm talking about like '82 to '86. You know, mm-hmm. skating really came out like in the mid '80s, '85, '86. And by the time like I, my first couple years in college or whatever, the skating kind of blew up. '87, '88. That was like Tony Hawk and like. Yeah. Skating became a thing, and uh, and, uh, and I've been on a big Beastie Boys kick because their book came out, and I remember like when License to Ill came out in '87, '88, like it's a fucking glorious time, man. Yeah, what is it like the 30th anniversary or something like that? Just recently, or 20th anniversary? Maybe check your head or something like that. Uh, well, I think the they, were Mar- they were on Mark Maron recently. That's why. I think. Well, their book. Yeah. Did, did you read or hear the book or anything like that? No, no. Were you a fan at all? Do you like rap? I mean, yeah, I like Check Your Head and I like Little Communication. Uh, I did obviously listen to. I didn't listen to. I wasn't. A, I didn't listen to Paul's Week. I wasn't there for that when they when they when that record came out. Well, Check Your Head is when they really became interesting. I mean, that was those two records, Check Your Head and Ilcom, were yeah. definitely their peak for sure, unquestionably. Um, that was '90s alternative. Yeah, at its peak. Yeah, and and just so good, you know. Um, but their book came out like six months ago or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's why like and then there's an audiobook version which is a little hard personally for me to listen to, so I ended up reading the book. Um, but they're such a big part of the soundtrack of my life, you know. Yeah. And I love rap and hip hop ever since like you know ever since not even uh, Beastie Boys but uh, Run DMC, you know since uh, Raising Hell out. I mean I remember freshman year in college just like blasting it's like that and metal, you know, rap and metal. 1987 was a great year for rap. I got something to show you. And this doesn't really, unfortunately, doesn't really uh, transfer on the podcast, but uh, Run DMC. And I think you'll appreciate the, the band. Oh, sweet, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, that 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 logo is, is yeah, iconic. iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so Mark and I were playing together in high school. And then he went to Chicago for like college, my undergrad, and uh, I went to UMaine. 
Well, I know a lot of people who went there. It's oh, a good school. Yeah. Orno or uh, Orno, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where I did my undergrad. Some pats, you get a pats every every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually well pats was like towards the end of my era there. I can't Wow, that's so far back now. Um Penny Fucking Post. love Pat's Pizza, man. Penny Post? So have no. you been to Orno or Yeah, yeah, no, I, I go to Orno pretty much every year. Yeah. Why? Why my... would anybody go there? <laughs> Uh, the, one of the kids I grew up with, who his father was from Maine, from Orno. Uh, his whole family was from Orno. Uh, they had a house up there for like an Orno townie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, two of his uh, uncles still live there. Oh wow! Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I went to Orno from like 86, 87 to ninety-one, I guess. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and I played some shitty bands up there. It wasn't really. Where are you fun. playing when you're up in Maine? Like what places? I mean, just like. Not. None. Just you're not playing out. There's yeah. no. There's no. I mean, there was literally in Orno. Honestly, there was. Well, I should say that there was. There was like ten punk rockers, and that's mm-hmm. like the first time I got to meet other people with like mohawks and shit. It was like, oh wow, you know. And then it was in the '80s, having a mohawk or whatever was like, please beat me up, you know. Like I mean, it was. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot more of a statement back then. Um, and, uh, and there wasn't a lot going on, um, so I just played acoustic guitar and just played, you know, in my room. Um, and then I came to Boston to go to grad school at MIT in '91. And uh, when I moved down here, um, uh, I've been friends for a, a bunch of years. So a, a kid from Waterville who was another friend of mine and Mark went to BU, and so we used to come down and visit him all the time. Mark was yep. in Chicago at this time. But I used to come down to Boston all the time, and he lived with this guy, Lee Fisher, who, I don't know if you know the more song, Lee Fisher. Oh, yeah, I know the song, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that second song on the record. Huh. That was my roommate, Lee. He was just like our, you know, he was he was like my best friend at that time. That's so weird. Well, my first, well, my second band that I was ever in, we were named, that was our name, Lee. Oh, really? And we absolutely stole it from, I totally just put two and two together now, where we stole the name from. That's where it was. From Lee Fisher? From Lee Fisher. Oh, wow, that's that's awesome. Funny, yeah. wow. So, I'm sorry? <laughs> no, I, I'm flattered. Yeah. We, tried to, we tried to cover Fear God. Oh, really? And just could not, oh, could not count that high. <laughs> funny, wow. I always forget about that song, too. Like, yeah, um... Yeah, so Lee was my roommate, and uh, he was, uh, if you see the Lee Fisher video, he's like the big dude, he's a metalhead dude. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like my best friend, kind of like in late undergrad, I used to come down to Boston, and our friend Dave lived up on Chiswick in Brookline, and there was this big old crazy party house that we used to just have wild parties at, and, uh, and so I'd stay with them every time I came down here, and we started a cover band um, called Pork, and it was <laughs> me and Mark, Lee wasn't in that actually, this guy Steve Jones was his name. He was the drummer. Um, and uh, was, uh, sounds like a member of the Rolling Stones or something. Steve, well, Steve, Sex yeah. Pistols. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Yeah, right. He was a guitarist for the Sex okay. Pistols. Right. Who I knew I knew the name. I actually met. Really? Uh, at us at Spore. <laughs> Spore played in L.A. So we were on Tang. You should probably yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely want to talk to you about Tang. Yeah, Tang, Tang, Curtis. Uh, so Curtis was friends with Johnny Depp, and Johnny Depp had this club called the Viper Room, yes. which is super famous. Holy shit. And uh, Spore played there. So uh, what was his name? River Phoenix mm-hmm. died. Is this where? Yeah, at the Viper Room. Yep. And outside on the sidewalk on, there. Outside the sidewalk, he died. And then like two months later, the club opened up, 
again, and Curtis was friends with Johnny Depp, and we played the opening night when they reopened. And oh, we shit. opened up for a band called P, which was, Johnny Depp supposedly was sometimes in the band, but he was not in the band that night. But it was, I think, Gibby Haynes, it was Xander Schloss from the Circle Jerks, and it was Steve Jones from, it was like these ridiculous, crazy, like, super what celebrity. What did that sound like? Holy they shit. Sucked. As I recall, I mean, I, I don't think they ever released a record. I think it was just like five super famous dudes who were like, "Hey, let's have a fucking band." Johnny, it was Johnny Depp. I, as you could Google that, I'm sure it's out there. Yeah, this is just my, you know, recollection from this very hazy time in my past. So the band was called P, and it was Johnny Depp's band, and so he was like, "You know, you're gonna be in it, you're gonna be in it, you're gonna be in it, you're gonna be in it." And so then they would play, and then like he would show up or not. I don't remember. This is Johnny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, he's but, been in, he's, he was in another band like that, right? Too I, his own band. I forget what the fuck it was called now. But. Oh, there might have been an, yeah, yeah there was a little bit other, later. Yeah, but this was like really like this was probably '94. So I don't remember when did River Phoenix mm-hmm. out, but you, you can figure it out. So and, yeah, I mean Indiana Jones came out in '93. I think the last one. So that's uh, I think he died like that year or the year after that. Wait, what did he have to do with Indiana Jones? He was in, remember uh, Last Crusade. He plays Indiana Jones in the beginning of the sequence where he's like. I don't even, if I ever even saw that movie. I, I only remember the original one. Um, it's a good movie. You should go and watch it. Yeah. But then stop there. Don't go and watch Crystal Skull. <laughs> yeah, that's immediately that's, regret it. But anyway, too far down the wormhole for me. So um, anyway, we played that night, and they played after us. And I remember when we were taking our gear off the stage or whatever. There's a dude was standing there. And he's like, "Hey, nice show, whatever." And I shook his hand. I was like, "Oh, my name's Elton." He's like, oh, "I'm Steve." And somebody else was like, "He's not that Steve." And I was like, I was like, oh my god, you know, because wow. like I grew up, you know, I mean, the Sex Pistols, you know, big deal. Yeah, I mean, all that, all those bands, you know, Gibby Haynes, Butthole Surfers. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh man, that's a story I probably should tell. No oh, shit. Now we met. Okay, we met. <laughs> Curtis was friends with all these famous people, and when we were on Tang, we were like the, you know, the, the kids that he was bringing around to meet all his fancy friends and I love Curtis I, I still am in touch with him to this day and he's always treated us very well so I, that's I, great I mean honestly I have heard not great things so a positive is great I'm, yeah I'm I'll, glad I'll, to hear it I'll, I'll take this up but... go ahead yeah. well no just yes a lot of people talk shit about Curtis and uh, I, I you know I, I can only speak to my own personal experience yep when we signed to Tang we were at a, like a very hot moment and we were, you know, we were, he wanted to sign us and we were feeling pretty high on ourselves or whatever. I don't even know if it was that, but he, he was really good to us and he gave us a great contract. And we did very well by Tang. He always treated us with, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better from him. And to this day, we're still friends and he's a nice awesome. guy and we get along. And, you know, occasionally if I'm in San Diego, if he's I'm really town, glad to hear that. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny. Now that I'm going to go down the, you know, all these anecdotes. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this, this is what people want to hear, man. One I want to hear this shit. One time I walked into Tang, and did being here, in Boston, in Boston. Right? Yeah, before he moved, yeah, in Boston was in Harvard Square, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> I walked into Curtis's office, and Dickie Barrett was sitting there, and so it's just me, Curtis, and Dickie Barrett, and uh, and Dickie Barrett goes like, "Oh, you the new kid on Tang?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "This guy's gonna fuck you over," <laughs> and I was like, "But it was clear that." You know, he was, just you know, kidding, yeah. I, you know, it was clear that it was said with affection, and and I, I think the Boston's did quite well by Tang. You know, clearly, I mean, those uh, records are still on Tang, right? You as know? far as I know, you know, um, but it was just, you know, I, I have nothing 
of good stuff to say about Curtis. And that record must home. have made him a lot of money. Lost Don't Tons. Know How to Party record. That I think a, that, that was a huge hit. Yeah, I mean, it was that and the Lemonheads that pretty much mm-hmm. paid for everybody else, I think. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah. So when you when you're playing Spore, how how did you guys fare? Like you said you did really well with Tang, and but oh, yeah. was well, it was a pretty fast rise around here for for y'all? Yeah, I mean, so I'll just try to go yeah, yeah chronologically. Go so, uh, so Mark, let's see. I came down. I moved. I came down here to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lee and I had been friends for a bunch of years, and so we became roommates um, down right in Alston Center. Uh, what's the name of that street? There's a little through street that we live like literally right down. You know where. Used to be Harold's. I don't even know what it is now. The ice cream shop. Yeah, no, I think it's a Korean place now or something like that. Korean tea or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. But you know what Harold's? You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, Harold's ice cream was kind of like the epicenter for all the rocker shit jobs, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Lee worked at Harold's, and uh, Mark, Lee and I were living down here, and Mark had gotten out. Of, he'd finished grad school or whatever. He had kind of like a nervous breakdown or whatever. And he'd gone back to Waterville and he was really unhappy. And I was like, come move down to Boston, man. Let's start a, a band. Because we'd been in that covers band in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like in between bands or trying to find a band or whatever. And uh, and so I convinced him to come down and move to Boston. And he came down. So that must have been like maybe like 91, 92. And uh, he came down and got a place. And so me and him and Lee were pretty inseparable, the three of us. And uh, and Lee worked at Harold's, and Lee got Mark a job at Harold's. So they were both working at Harold's. I was going to grad school, mm-hmm. um, and it sucked, man. MIT was fucking brutal. Like it was that that was the hardest like six month period of my life was trying to get through like the first at MIT when you start grad school, they give you like your first uh, six or at least in the department I was in, you get like the first six or nine months or whatever is basically like like I don't know like. Uh, it's that thing in the army where you have like just grunt work, like just no. The, the first you, go to you mean boot you camp. mean you boot like, camp. Boot yeah, camp. yeah, yeah. So basically, they give you like this fucking tortuous, like brutal schedule to see if you'll make it. To see if you make it, and they just weed people out, and then you take this exam, the qualifying exam, and then if you pass it, you are basically guaranteed to get a PhD. And what were you going for? Chemical engineering. It was fucking horrible. Woof. Um, it was brutal. So I was like living with Lee, trying to start a band with Mark, and then trying to get through the qualifying exams which were mm-hmm. fucking awful and I like to smoke pot you know I'll be honest <laughs> I have since you know whenever yeah. and it's, it's legal now I mean we could yeah, so you could spend the whole podcast just talking about that uh, my wife works for a dispensary nice yep. I, it's my parents live in Seattle now so I oh, you know, cool. they've had recreational for about three four five years now and when it first became so I go visit them like quite frequently and mm-hmm. when it first became legal um, my mom was like super pro legalization or whatever and uh, when I was in high school, actually, me and Mark got arrested together in high school in 1986 with our friend Chris. We got arrested. Was Mark? Arrested? Mark wasn't with us. It was just me and Chris who got arrested. Anyway, my mom, since that time, like, they grounded me. They fined the shit out of me. They took my car away. And since that time, my mom has felt really guilty about being on the wrong side of the whole pot equation. So when it became legal in Washington State, she was, like, super pro it and would send me these articles like, oh, look, legalization's coming, like, super excited. So, like, Mom, when, when, we, when I can buy pot, you're coming to sh- going shopping with me. So the first time I went to a recreational store in Seattle, I went with my parents. And I was like, Dad, pick me out some weed. <laughs> And he's like, that one, you know? So I got a tiny little bong. I got a little fucking grandma pot. Went home. 
watch TV with my parents and smoke weed. It's fucking <laughs> amazing moment in my life. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, my dad has... My dad's older than most dads my age. Um, and he ne- he's never had a cigarette. They used to call him the 7-Up Kid when he was in the military. Um, he, I mean, he drinks, but... Uh, he... I, one story, I think I was like 16 or 17. I just got my license and I was like going out. And they knew I was smoking dope. And... Uh, but they you know, they were like, just be careful. Don't do anything stupid. Good parents. Yeah, don't don't drive. If you're, if you're stuck somewhere, call me and I'll come get you. Um, Reasonable request. Reason, yeah, yeah, exactly. And which was fine. Um, but my dad's standing at the top of the stairs in his tidy whities and a t-shirt saying like, he's like, I'll never smoke it, but put it in a brownie and I'll fucking eat the shit out of it. And still to this day, he's like, yeah, I'll try it. Like my, my wife got gets caramels. Yeah. And uh, I would buy, maybe buy, buy you know, get my get my thing and I'd get my license and or whatever the fuck it is, permit or whatever the fuck you call it. Like your, for your medicinal. Yeah, medicinal and then buy him some caramels. And, and he actually eats them? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sick. <laughs> yeah, my parents, like, I tried to get them to smoke and, and they actually, so I, I guess my dad once smoked pot in the 70s, like his friend. Mm-hmm. And he said it didn't do anything. But then like, you know, obviously now it's, rec- now I'll smoke a bong when I'm, watching TV with them and I also do the vape pen you know mm-hmm. so I was like oh you know you guys want to try the vape pen so they both like they you know they did like the tiniest <laughs> thing but you know I'll give them credit they're honestly they're they're afraid of it. they think it's gonna like you know they think it's like LSD or something make them insane immediately yeah. nuts yeah, yeah they're, they're just they're afraid of it and, and you know they don't need to smoke pot that's fine you know but the, the mere fact that they would entertain the idea of mm. trying is pretty awesome so if your dad's doing that you know good for him that's fucking awesome you know? yeah uh, hey you're to, you're 80 something years old have fun you know <laughs> you know let loose so um all right well so you so you did you did you make it through mit i did well yeah actually as a tangent so i i, I passed the quals out of, out of like the 40 students or whatever were you happy about it, or was it kind of were you like on the other disappointed that you did, or what did I pass? Yeah, yeah. We're oh, I was it. fucking relieved. Okay. I mean, I, you know, honestly, when I got when I, you know you go there and they give you this piece, this envelope, and you open it up and it says if you passed or failed. Mm-hmm. And when I opened it up and saw that I passed, I mean, first of all, I was incredibly surprised because I was just like, there's no way that I passed. I took that. It was like a four-hour exam or something, and it's like, you know, this just insane question, and I maybe answered like the first third of it. I mean, it was fucking pathetic, you know. But and, and I don't remember exactly, but what I remember is I was probably like 35th out of 40, but as I recall, I was pretty much like the last one that passed. Um, but it doesn't matter, you either pass or fail, so the mm-hmm. first person that passed gets the same as the last person that I passed, and I think there was four or five kids who didn't pass. Um, but you could take it again, too, but I just wanted to be out of there, you know? Um, and then when score started to tour, like maybe like six months or a year later, I kind of had this, like, almost nervous breakdown where like you know Spore wanted to tour and I wanted to tour and I didn't want to hold back but there's no way that I could have stayed being a grad student yeah. um, I, was right, I was starting a thesis I was doing research and my advisor I basically had like this like mini nervous breakdown where I realized that I'd have to choose school or the band and I was like you know my parent my dad's a professor my mom was a statistician and I didn't want to like let them down and there was always this like you know I didn't care about engineering at all I only ever became an engineer because my sister was an engineer and when I went to Orono I had signed up for electric uh, mechanical engineering 
which is what my sister had gotten a degree in, and I just didn't care at all. I all wanted to do was smoke weed. So I was like, whatever, I'll sign up for mechanical engineering. And when I got to Orno, they were like, all of a sudden I got called to like the chemical engineering department. And in terms of engineering, like chemical engineering is like the hardest one, and there's like electrical, really? and mechanical is like the lowest. Huh. And I was like, why are you bringing me here? I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to do this. And they were like, well, they were like, you're gonna be in a, you're gonna be in chemical. And I was like. All right. Is this the military? <laughs> I don't know. They, 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 need, they wanted students. And, you know, honestly, I had done, like, really well. I, I had really good grades. I was a total pothead. I didn't give a shit. But for whatever reason, I always had really good grades and looked very good on paper. Did they see something in you that made you, like, more qualified or just better a- aptitude for doing chemical? You know, I don't know. It's. I think I just had super good grades. I was like second in my class in high school or something. And I, wow. I, I'm not. A lot of it's luck. And honestly, you know, I mean, <laughs> I cheated as a kid. I <laughs> the stuff everybody else does. Maybe everybody else doesn't. I don't know. But for whatever reason, I mean, you can't cheat on SATs. I don't know. Whatever. Somehow they were like, you're going to be a chemical engineer. I'm like, sure. Okay. So I did that. And then uh, when I got. Why was I saying that? I don't know. So when you made. When so you, you started. When it when it came to the decision when you when it was spore or this what what did what did you yeah what did you think so what, did, what happened I didn't want to let my parents down yeah and I, but I was like literally having a nervous breakdown because I really didn't want to give up the thing that I loved in my life which was the band and I was super excited and it was just a very exciting period of time and try not to make me sound like an arrogant asshole <laughs> whatever <laughs> I don't think I don't think you do I think you sound very humble uh, to me well, to just me. take that one line out. anyway <laughs> we can if you uh, need to we can. I, you know what? I trust you. Uh, yeah, so pivotal moments in my life. I realized I couldn't do both. I started having like this just like emotional breakdown. And uh, my parents came down to Boston. And I was like, I think I have to quit school. And I, I'd made the decision actually to quit school. And I was telling them. So they came down. And we went out for like pizza. And I was like crying and shit. You know, I was like, I can't do it. I have I, I'm going to quit. And they were like, okay. You know, you know, and I thought, especially my dad, I thought he'd be like, you can't do that. You're throwing your life, you know, whatever. And they were yeah. just like, you know what? Do what you got to do. And I, I got to, my parents are great. I love them. I'm a very lucky person. And, and you were still young. I mean, you could obviously go back if it was really. Well, it, true. And in, in fact, once you pass the qualifying exam, which I told you I passed, like mm-hmm. the last one to pass, uh, you basically get guaranteed a, a PhD. And... It takes typically three or four years to get the PhD, and at any time before you get it, you can go away for five years. So I knew that I could quit, and I'd still have a five-year grace period to just go back, and it's like a qualifying exam like stays valid for five years or whatever. Crazy. So there was that out, and that certainly I think was maybe a component in, in there. Did that make it calculus. easier? It wasn't easy. Yeah. You know, and, and I will say that for my parents, especially for my dad, I know he didn't. He would have certainly preferred me to stay. You know, he wanted me to be a professor. He wanted me to get a PhD. Um, but uh, but they said, chase your dreams or whatever. And uh, and I, you know, that was definitely one of the most pivotal moments in my life. And I give them, you know, super props for being big in that way. Yeah, that's and awesome. then I went to my advisor and I was like, I'm going to quit. And the chemical engineering department did not have a master's degree. They just, you did, you did, once you got into grad school, you got a PhD. That's what they do. Um, and I told him I was going to quit. And I had done, I was writing a program for him to, like, basically there's this, uh, here's a little factoid for you. All right. Have you ever seen the Spore logo? It's like a, the balls yep. in the middle, like yep. that thing. So what that actually is, <laughs> that's called a surfactant micelle. 
And what a micelle is, is it's, you know what a surfactant is? No. So surfactants are soap molecules. And soap molecules, you know how oil and water don't mix? Yeah. So if you have oil and water in a cup and you put soap molecules, surfactants are called surf act, surface active. And that's because they're active at the surface of oil and water. And surfactant molecules have one side that is hydrophilic, meaning it likes water. And the other side is hydrophobic, meaning it hates water. So when you put these molecules where oil and water mix, one side points into the water, the other side points into the oil. All the molecules line up at the surface. So that's how soap works, because what soap is, is you have dirt, which is like oil, uh-huh. and you try to wash it off with water, and they don't mix. And that's why when you try to wash stuff off, it doesn't work. But when you put a little soap, all of a sudden the dirt becomes soluble. And the reason it becomes soluble is because the dirt mo- the dirt clumps or whatever get surrounded by these surfactant molecules which make that dirt now soluble in water where before it wasn't. So now it just absorbs into the water and goes away with your dishwater. So that was what I studied in school and the O in the spore molecule, the spore logo is a surfactant micelle and a micelle is like all the little molecules clumping around a piece of dirt and they make this little ball that's called a micelle that passes. Yeah. Crazy. So that's what I was studying in school and I was like, oh, a spore, and it was kind of like spore. It looked kind of like... So that's uh, where the name comes from? No, the name was me and Mark. Um, he, I was in another band before he moved down to Boston and when he moved down to Boston, he briefly played with us in this other band and the other guitarist in that band and Mark like couldn't, they were like oil and water. They, they just... <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, they, they just hated each other. Or they didn't hate each other, but they couldn't get along. And Mark Mark is like a real s- strong personality. Hard-head. Like, you know, he, he'd been my friend for like ever, but he definitely, like, there are people that he really rubbed the wrong way. And he, you know, he was a super creative, super intelligent dude. And, you know, I've always been proud of my association with him. But he, you know, some people just really couldn't handle him at all. Um, so basically that band didn't work out, but one time when we were, that band was kind of flaming out, and me and him were like walking down the street, and we were trying to come up with band names, and Spore came up. I don't know if he said it or if I said it, but right when whichever one of us said it, we were both like, oh. It is very that. original, I, I, I think, and it's short and sweet, and I, I think, you know, even before I heard, I knew what you guys sounded like, I was like, I'm gonna like this band. Oh, fine, <laughs> yeah. It was, it's a good name. There was another Spore uh, that, happened right around the same time as us and it was do you remember that band coc yeah. Yeah, 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 sure. so coc had been a band and i actually liked them like back in the 80s and uh and then was it i forget the guy's name woody whatever one the main guy in coc i think he was mm-hmm. the bass player uh started a new band called spore and the drummer for that band was rich hoke do you know who rich hoke is no i don't he was the drummer for brutal truth Okay, I know that. Brutal Truth. Yep. They were such a great band. Um, and he actually became 27's booking agent. Ah. He worked for Relapse when we were briefly on Relapse. He was our booking agent. And he's been a, like a friend pretty much since that time. And he was in that band's the other spore. Oh, really? And we were on Tang. By the time they put out their first 7-inch or whatever, we were on Tang. Mm-hmm. We put out our first record, and Tang was like, we got to crush this other spore, you know? <laughs> and we were like, yeah, whatever, you know? So, like, uh, I remember the lawyer... Deb for Tang, like sent them like a cease and desist or whatever, and they did, and it was like, we just were like, oh, whatever, you know, um, but then years later, I was talking to Rich, and he was like, you guys were such assholes, like, and we were like, <laughs> I was like, we didn't know anything, man. Yeah, we yeah. didn't have anything to do with that. Um, but There's just, been a couple of bands on here that, like, where there was another, like, Syrup. Oh, Syrup, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, 
Shauna. Shauna. Shauna uh, was arguably the prime mover in getting ta- uh, Spore on Tang. Really? That comes a That's little it, later. That's very interesting. Yeah, so I know Shauna and I were roommates back at that time. Cool. For like a year or two. Um, and we've, so I've known Shauna since like forever, you know. She's such um, a sweet lady. Yeah, she's, a sweet person. she's, she's awesome. Um, it's always nice to see her when I see her. And she was one of the first people who agreed. To oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because Swirlies were on Tang, and so... And I think they had a less good experience than we did, to be honest. But Swirlies I, I, are kind of what introduced me to you and Tang. Oh, really? Yeah. Like oh, the, back then. Yeah. Back then, yeah. I mean, when I... Blonder Tongue was... Still is one of my favorite That's records. That's a great record. I love that record. Um, so, I was like, what the fuck is this label Tang? And then I, I started working at a radio station, and... Oh, funny, Swirly's Legend of Tang, interesting. Yeah. For me, Tang was, like, I'd been a fan of Tang since, like, the 80s, you know, I I, I grew up, well, I didn't grow up, but I, I mean, high school for me was, like, all about punk and metal and, you know, Gangrene, Kill Slug. Bola Volta, like, all that, yeah. Upside Down Cross. Yep. Oh, yeah, shit. Sick record. That record, about that. that record is so good. Sam The Kill Slug record, though. Mm. You know the Kill Slug record? I don't remember that one. I remember Sam Like Church. I remember, yeah. Well, Kill Slug is pretty hard to swallow, to be honest. It's real. It's uh, Upside Down Cross. Remember Upside Down Cross? Uh, Kill Slug was basically like Upside Down Cross, an earlier version with slightly different membership. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really, really weird and creepy and scary and heavy and pretty legendary. It's, it's worth going back to listen. That's kind of how I felt when I first heard Cudgel. Very scary, very... Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. so weird. Really? Yeah, Cudgel's weird. I, and I never understood the association between Cudgel and Swirlies. They seemed like they were like brother sister bands. They were always like doing playing together, and they had that that's seven inch together. And I'm like, yeah. I don't understand the connection. See, to me, that's so funny. So, for th- that was that was us coming up was Cudgel and Swirlies, and like yeah. I said, Shauna was the one who introduced us to Tag and. And they were all, we kind of came into their scene, they, they predated us very slightly. And, uh, and to me, Cudgel was almost like a pop band. I always thought of Cudgel as kind of like fun and upbeat and like punky, but like happy. And and if you know them as people, I don't know, you should, another person, great person for you to talk to would be Zach from Cudgel. Yeah. Uh, who was also my roommate back then. He, it was me, Zach, Lee Fisher, and Shauna uh, lived in this crazy house on Royal Street in Austin that was like, super fucking legendary insane house um, so, uh, pretty much I, destroyed when I'd love left. to do a podcast and I've been thinking about doing like super cuts of things but like I'd like to do a super cut of like all the band houses in Boston like yeah. that place have you like, heard about that place Mona yeah, lived there too yeah. Yeah. and there was a I, there was like the one that I lived in Watertown yep. and you know, Mona was there a lot Dave Norton Oh, Dave but Norton. then so that was kind of the oh, end. I, was, I think I was there you probably yeah, yeah. so I might have met you at some, I lived there the whole time so um and then, uh, like the like the Cape House, which was in uh, Roxbury on Mission Hill, and then right around the corner from that place was like a metal house with like a whole bunch of cave in dudes. And oh, oh, was that, oh, the place at, on uh, Mission Hill? Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. was there. Yeah. yeah, that was the Hydrant House. Right. So, like, yeah. I'd love to do a super cut of all because like, there's little snippets of it, like this little conversation. Like, take it out and just. Yeah, those those houses were like locusts. You know, they yeah. were like centers of like of, a, of attention and, and you know the music that happened at those houses. I mean, that Royal Street house, that was Spore was born in that house and 
pr probably died in that house too. I mean, that's where all of our early practices were. Ambulance driver. Did you ever hear that band? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That was Lee Fisher was the bass player. Oh, really? And Mark was the guitarist. Hmm. Um, that have, band was I do incredible. have that seven inch. I recorded somewhere. them in our basement. Rewinding the conversation now, this is all going to be out of order, but uh, you said what were, what were the bands that influenced us? Um, the Unsane was pretty much my favorite band. Like right around the time Spore started, I was like obsessed with them. And Mark was too. Me and Liam, I think Mark, I know it was me and Liam, I think Mark was with us. Went to see them at the Middle East upstairs and um, we were tripping on shrooms. And it was, <laughs> it was like, I was like, this is the music that I have to play. Yeah. You know, and it was the original lineup with Charlie Andres, and I remember. I only know that one record, the first record. Yeah, yeah. that's the only. That's the only record. Because Charlie died after that, and, and he was a magical drummer. That they were. The, that band was great, and Pete Shore was an incredible bass player. But Charlie Andres was the fucking secret sauce. I mean, that guy could play drums, like really, almost like no one else. So here's the story. This was a couple years later. We all worshipped that band, and we all wanted to be them, basically. And Spore, from at least from my perspective, was me trying to be the unsane. For sure. Um, and uh, Charlie died, and they were looking for a new drummer. And that band, Ambulance Driver, the drummer was this guy, Anthony DeLuca. And Anthony, Holy shit. did you know Anthony? Oh, you know how do? You, how oh, I mean, you? I know him through people like. Do um, uh, you know Adam Brilla? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, through him. I know I met him a couple times. And what do you know about Anthony? Like, what's your... Uh, I... He played, did he play in the Swirlies for, like, a brief, like, moment? Yeah, nope. that's probably Because why. I think he dated Shauna, actually. Yeah, that's why. Mm -hmm. um, I went to his apartment in Cambridge once. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. it was weird. <laughs> I was very young, and I'm like, it was weird. He was... He, he's... I like Anthony very much. You know, we're all weird, so I'm not going to, like, single him out for being weird, <laughs> but we're all weird. You know, um... He is one of the most naturally gifted drummers I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, at this point in my life, I've known so many different musicians and some I've known quite well and some I've known peripherally. And, you know, there's all types of music musicians and some people that are great players mm -hmm. aren't great songwriters and some people that aren't great songwriters are great players and, you know, whatever, you know nothing necessarily means anything but some people just have a real natural gift like uh, Jonah from Only Living Witness who's a friend of mine that okay. guy his voice is just he can sing like no other male human that I've ever met you know um, this is some great pop records yeah he just and, and listen to Raw Radar War mm -hmm. that's his sludge metal band it's just like this crazy sludge metal and his vocals He that guy can just sing anything, anything. just everything he does it's just fucking Mm -mm. magic that comes out of his mouth um, and Anthony was like that kind of drummer he was just so good and he could play anything and when Charlie died Unsane tried out a bunch of dudes and we kind of Spore opened for them a couple of times after that so we sort of vaguely knew them we like worshipped them and looked up to them and uh, and we were some I don't remember how it came down but he got an audition with them and so before the audition that he played with them me and him and Lee like played the first Unsane record in our basement like over and over and over so I got to be the guitarist vocalist and it was <laughs> fucking so you played the whole record over and over and over like a wow. hundred times that's, so he could practice the songs we were just so fucking rad that's the first time I've ever heard of anything like that what do you mean where like someone you know is trying to out for a band and you learn the whole fucking record yeah. and then you play it that's well I shouldn't say I, I don't know that we learned every song right, we at least but, learned three or four uh, well, our first even favorite that. songs but at least so he could practice playing in that style. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, he could actually play like Charlie. That really loose style where mm -hmm. he's just all over the kit. 
and he's behind the beat and it's loose and almost falling apart but completely perfect all the time and he could play that and I remember playing in that basement me him and Lee and just being like this is fucking magic and I felt like I was in the Unsane and it, that was the band awesome. I just wanted to be the Unsane and I got to be them you know um, and he was a drummer and ambulance driver and him and Mark and Lee and Terrence were an ambulance driver but uh, he tried out for the Unsane and he got into the band really they took him into the band and they he played with them for like a month or two and they were going to do a European tour they had band photos and everything like made up I remember seeing like the band photos and those guys like we were pretty wild like we partied quite a bit um, Anthony did not not notably like you know me and Lee and Mo and Mark and everybody Chris we all were like pretty wild back then yeah but Unsane were like at a different level like I think they kind of had a extra level of substances that we weren't quite into you know and we dabbled with shit but whatever I, I don't know exactly but what I do know is Anthony moved to New York and like a month later he called Lee and he was crying he was like I can't do this I can't these, keep up with this guys shit are fucking, no he, he didn't do stuff he oh, just okay. was it was too crazy I think the whole thing was just you know he's in New York alone all his friends were still in Boston and I think he just like had a moment where he's like what the fuck am I doing this sucks I don't like these people they're all fucked up everything is weird and he just bailed and left and he quit the unsane and nobody ever even knew he was in the band because yeah. he never recorded with them or anything but he honestly he was the guy if they if, they, if he had stayed in that band they would have I, I don't know it's hard to say he could play in Charlie's style instead they ended up with Vinny who did not play in Charlie's style he had his own style and he's great for what he does but it was a different band after that yeah so hmm. um so where where was sport at this point? Like, where? So, I mean, how how long were you guys together? I think it was like three years. It was not a long time. I'm sorry. Say. You know what? I really got to take a leak. That's fine. Go ahead. Oh. Yeah. You want another beer? I think I might have another one if you want it. Uh, you know, I gotta go to Maria's dad's later with Maria, so I should probably just <laughs> go back to my coffee. So you gotta go to Shrewsbury? Yeah. <laughs> just yank on that. So just down. Yeah, just go around the corner here, and then that's on the left. Sometimes I like to talk to the guy who does the editing while the people are like on the, in the can. I'm like, I just say weird shit to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so when he's like editing this, I just suddenly, I just go, Eric. <laughs> what's your uh, What's your deal with him? I mean, like, uh, he just uh, when I put this out on the internet, I'm like, would anybody interest be interested in listening to this if I did it? You know, uh, he offered because he had all his equipment. He was like. I'd be happy to produce it for you, do all the editing, because uh, I didn't know how to do any of it. I was like, how the fuck do you do a podcast? I don't get that now. So, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Cool. So does he share the same interests, or what's like this? No, I work with, I, I knew him from Newbury, and he's definitely a little bit younger than I am, and yeah, he wasn't into any of this, he was into like this kind of business, like, like power pop, like emo stuff, um, so... But I've been like I've said to him like if there's anybody that you want me to like try to get in touch with an interview, let me know. We'll do, we can do it together. Hey Eric, thanks for doing this. <laughs> oh yeah. Does so? But does he make all the like kind of creative decisions? I mean, obviously there's a lot of stuff that's going down on the cutting room floor. And, you know. He does. Yeah. I mean, if uh, he's pretty. He. Yeah. He usually just go uh, like whatever I say because he's like it's my you know this is my thing or whatever. But I, like I we said, I, face, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it without him. Um, so uh, I do try to 
clear a lot of shit with him or run it by him before I do it. Um, but I do so many interviews now that it's crazy to try to like text him every time. I'm like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So basically at this point I just upload it and he's just, he asks me questions about, all right, do you have the song? And do you have like the lead in and all that shit? And then, cool. Yeah. yeah. It's very helpful. Yeah. That's very awesome. I don't want, also don't want to keep you if you gotta, if you gotta get up to Shrewsbury. Well, actually, as I stood up and was walking out, I looked. I did look at my clock. I was like, "Wow, you know." I mean, it's funny. Like, you know, once you open the floodgates and start talking about all these random memories, you told know, you. Like, you know. Oh no, I mean, you know. <laughs> it's awesome. It really is. Um. So yeah, I, I probably should wrap it up pretty okay. soon. Um. And you know, I, I. I would love to talk to you again because there's a whole another like. Well, we didn't talk about sport. <laughs> we didn't talk about sport that much. But, like we were not even to the end of sport, and then. Um, you know, there's any band that you were in between then and, and now. I mean, 27, obviously. I'm sure you want to promote that. You guys are recording a record and shit like that. I'm sure you guys want, want to talk about because that's current. That is current. Yeah, we're so close to being done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what Marie and Terry would talk said. It's like, and I, close. you know, it's crazy. Like, I know Terry, and I'm, I don't know if you listened to it. I think I, uh, I did. I listened to it. Yeah. Part. Um, I forgot that Marie was at Dark Merchants, which is feels makes me feel like total fucking moron but i love that record it's terrified yeah um, they were contemporaries of us yeah um and they they grew up a town over from me i grew up in upton oh really oh, yeah near shrewsbury it's yeah. like yeah it's right. oh so that's why you were like so i was like oh we're gonna see maria's dad you're like shrewsbury yeah, yes yeah. so you know exactly how far the drive i know is. exactly and i have to go basically that far just north so I you in, take uh, route nine no i take two. Oh, two. okay so yeah so yeah, I mean, if you, uh, if you have another chance to talk, I would totally do it. I mean, honestly, you know, I'd love to do that. It, I don't dwell on the past or like think about it too much, but I enjoy, you know, a lot of these things that I meant, you know, we're talking, I'm like, oh, that reminds me of this other story. And, and you know, there is a lot of great stories. I mean, we, Spore had a lot of crazy times and, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to be in other bands too that did lots of interesting stuff. You know, obviously 27 has had lots of, uh, Able, been lucky to do lots of interesting things and if you're if you want to talk again I'm I'd like to talk again yeah and then maybe we can mash these two together and obviously yeah, sure. this fucking garbage and we can do it over the phone too uh, um, if, you, if, you, if you can't kick it down here I'm just throwing this out there uh, this all looks pretty portable your equipment here um, so uh, I work at the garment district yep I'm also one of the partners there um, we yeah we didn't even get into like school thing and then how you ended up there and it's a it's the, a that the garment district is actually a very interesting story see, in and yeah. of itself um and uh it, i mean you know mona worked there too mm -hmm. I, I started there when i was in sport um and it's been a long time um but 27 is fortunate to have a practice space there um so that's where we record all our records and that's where we do everything they were they were reluctant to tell where their practice space oh, was. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, they, they were like, oh, we don't want to talk about where it is. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, funny. <laughs> well, TT's got a space up here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. Terry is Terry. TT. Uh, yeah. It's, um, but, yeah, so we practiced up, I think it was the next floor up for a little while where mm -hmm. uh, Cave-In is. And, mm -hmm. um, 
but yeah, so we have a space at the Garment District, and if you wanted to come by there after hours sometime, it's totally quiet there. It's a very nice space. You could see our practice space. I could give you a tour of the space. Sounds show you great. All the, yeah, you know, let's do that. We could. Uh, I could show you my amps. We could talk uh, yeah. more about V4s. I could show you that modded out one. Yeah, I want to do. Where's this little cube? Is that, is that at home? The cube's at home, but yeah. I could bring it over to the space, obviously. Yeah, I'd love to see um, that. I've never heard of it. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Remind me. Yeah. So, so I mean, I've looked at the 212, and, the, and there's the 412 version, because I definitely was like, maybe I don't want to log this stupid thing around anymore. And I and someone actually contacted me about getting an, like a V4 cabin, and I was like, does it have the original speakers in it? Because then I, I'd totally buy it from you. But if it has replacement speakers, I'm like, eh, I'm not sure. I'd have to find the website. but So I got a cab, like, maybe 10 years ago. Um that is a guy who uh, makes, like, they're new, mm -hmm. but he makes them, like, to the old specs, and he does it, he's, like, a dude who does all, like, the point-to-point -point wiring or whatever. Like I said, I'm not Kevin, yeah, and yeah. I don't know all the mm -hmm. details, but, but, like, a dude who does it right, basically. And he basically, like, built, maybe still builds, um, versions of the V4 cab that's all new, but it's made to the old specs, and mm -hmm. so it's identical. And I got, I think I got two of those, maybe one for me and one for Maria. Anyway, come on, definitely. Right, if you cool. want to talk amps, like Let's that's that. that's the place to hang out. It was so. really nice to meet you. Yeah, it was awesome. It was fucking it's great it, talking. It's to you. fun. It, you know, it, you know, it seems like we have a lot of common interests, we do. and you know, and and sometimes there's people I meet where I can just like talk for hours, and we can just talk about any random. You know, we can talk about like. You know, Newbury Comics or wood flooring or like you know yeah. every fucking random thing. I'd love to do that, I and mean, we can do this in two sections too. Like we can do the you know early stuff, and then because it's you've had, I mean, it seems like you've had a long career, and a lot of and you, you do have some great stories to tell. I mean, I'm, I talk to some people, and not even they they have a lot to say about themselves, but like there's not a lot of anecdotes, anecdotes about things, and it's really nice to talk to someone who's like got stories to tell. It's really cool. There's, there's so we were lucky to have some pretty wild stuff happening. You know? Yeah. I mean, Kurt Curtis, you know, I don't know. The, the, the whole Tang thing, yeah. The, the Tang thing. You know, I, I grew up listening to, that, to Tang, and mm -hmm. I just, to me, when we got signed to Tang, it was like such a fucking magical moment. It was just like I couldn't even believe it, you know that? Yeah. I but, mean, yeah. meeting, you know, I, I meeting you is, is like, you know, because, you, know, you know, you listen to these people, like, uh, meeting Shauna. Like, I met Shauna, you know, years ago. But when I first met her, I was like, that was yeah. a big deal for me. It's funny, yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, I'm trying to remember how, I think I met Sean through Mo, maybe. And yeah, even when I met Mona. Yeah. It was around the same time, because I, I started living with Dave Norton. Dave was starting to play in Victory and C. Yep. And it's just really great. Do you know about her. the Billy or Wayne video dump? Do you know about any of this stuff? The Billy or Wayne, well, there's... Do you see all the videos? That's yeah. That's that he that someone posted like took all his VHS tapes and transferred them. It's insane. Did you see the Rodan one? I didn't see. The Rodan. There's a Rodan one that and I when they first released those like five years ago now I guess uh, I found it because I was just going. The through. videos have been out for five years. I think for a while, like maybe three. Wow. Uh, but there's a Rodan one at, at TT's. Wow, it's really cool. Huh. You should, if you get a chance, you should watch it. It's not bad. The quality is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that, that's great, and there were so many bands from that era that there are videos from that era, you know, and stuff that yeah. I just forgot about. You Victor can see, I think there's a, there might be a Tugboat Annie one, Tugboat Annie's playing again. Oh, funny one. Is that, that's not a, no, Jeff They're Armour. on Big Top. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm confusing them with, uh, I can't remember. 
Yeah, so many bands. Yeah, but no, there's there's that video dump was great. You know, do you know Billy? You know, obviously know who he was or. Yeah, yeah, I I, I definitely met him a couple times. Um, he didn't know who I was, obviously, but uh, uh, he didn't know who anybody. Was. Yeah, I mean, he was every time I saw him, he was drunk. Um, I remember I was at an Aerial M show on Easter Sunday in like 2003 or something like that. It was so cool, and, and you know, it was a it was a day show, and. Everyone was sitting down on the floor, like there was rugs everywhere. It was a very different, uh, you know, atmosphere than you usually get at the Middle East upstairs. Yeah. It was really cool. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. He booked the first 27 show uh, with the In Out. If you remember that band, they were a yeah. great band. And, uh, you going to see Jobbox? What's up? Are you going to see Jobbox? Uh, no, I was, I, I was, I'm a, I think I'm a little too old for them. You know, it just was never a thing. And I, you know, I know like tons of people love them and stuff, but it was never a thing like, yeah. for me. But yeah, Billy booked our very first show with In Out, and it was at a like a children's center, and it was not children; it was you know a show. But like basically, the, the, the venue was like like these four layers, like you know like three feet, and then like a six-inch drop, and then so like these big wide steps, so the kids could sit like a little mini kids amphitheater. Yeah. And then the band would play at the bottom, and that's where our very first show was uh, with the In Out that Billy Ruane booked, and we had just started as a band. He's like, "Hey, you want to do the show with the In Out?" We're like, "I love the In Out." And then it's this weird like kids that's mini cool. amphitheater. You know, the weird shows are always the best, man. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So the Garment District, I, I typically work weekdays noon to eight. The store closes at 8, and then the kids close, and, you know, they're usually out by, like, 8.30. But we could start at, like, 8, even if you want. Or yeah, even. I mean, Mondays or Tuesdays, I don't, I usually, I schedule a lot of interviews here at that time, because, like, usually it's fucking quiet. And even Sundays, this is the first time this shit's been going on. Um, so I can do either of those nights whenever you're free. I mean, I do have some interviews coming up. Like, I'm talking, you know, I'm talking to people, probably, like, Sometime sure. in May. Yeah. Uh, so basically, for me, like, pretty much any night of the week doesn't really matter. I mean, as long as we arrange it ahead of time and there's not something particular going on. You know, let's just uh, swap emails, you yeah, know, in the next cool. week or two, whatever, and you can maybe just shoot me a couple of dates that are possibilities yeah. that work for you. And like I said, pretty much any night, starting around roughly 8 p.m., we can hang out in there, talk about amps, talk about music. Sounds fun. We can listen to music, too. All right. I mean, that's something that we don't do on here, which I think... I want to do like just play a song and talk about even just a sports song. Be like, uh, how did you write? It? Like, how did you write it? Like, fear God, how the fuck did you come about that? That shit, you know. That, well, that was a Mona song for sure. Um, I'd have to remember. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I don't want to keep you. All right. It was very right. nice to meet Do you, you again. Me out? Yeah, yeah, sure. sure.